Welcome to episode 31 of the Trail Runners Experience. I am joined today by Jamie Stanley. Um, Jamie is an exercise physiologist and welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. No worries, mate. Um, Jamie, just so um, we can we'll just jump straight in, I just wanted to maybe you could share a little bit about um, who you are, where, where you're from, as in work situation, and also... You know, you're a PhD, is that correct? Uh, yep, yep. Do we so, call you a doctor? Oh, you, you could. Okay, <laughs> no worries. You don't have to. Yeah. No, so yeah, so tell me, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, for sure. So I guess I grew up on the east in northern New South Wales. Um, I was a triathlete, uh, made it to race at the elite level for a few years, but I also, um, at the same time, was very interested in in how the human body worked and, and optimising human performance. So I guess uh, triathlon is not an overly uh, lucrative career. So I, um, during that time, I uh, did my PhD in exercise physiology uh, with an interest area in optimising performance and recovery. Um, and that sort of led me through the QAS or the Queensland Academy of Sport as a research scholar um, and then postdoc uh, and then I moved to Adelaide and got a job with SASE or the South Australian Sports Institute uh, in 2014 uh, where I started working predominantly with the cycling and swimming programs, uh, had a few other sports uh, and now I'm the physiologist for the Australian cycling team track endurance program uh, and also the SASE swimming and cycling programs. Oh wow, so you're a busy man and you're also um, busy training for a marathon. And you're because you, you you said to me before that you're just a marathon runner, which <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess when you when you when you come from triathlon um, and you and you're doing twenty five hours a week, um, focusing on one sport seems very easy. Um, so yeah, as as most people who who enjoy um, athletic endeavors, um, having a goal is a big part of keeping my sanity. Um, yeah. And so, um, yeah, a marathon is, is, a, is a good goal to have. Absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, it's still a fair training load, but, so sort of keeping your toe in the water. And um, would you ever go back to triathlons, or do you feel like that, that those days are sort of done? Uh, maybe if I retired and went back to Queensland. Um, but yeah. Yeah, at the moment. like Just uh, with your work? With work. It's, yeah, working in elite sport is, is not a glamorous lifestyle. <laughs> Yeah. No. Oh, it sounds pretty glamorous to me. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a lot of hard work, though, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I was just going to say, you. Um, so just while we before we dive into the topic for today, and um, just the around your marathon running. So you're a pretty tidy marathon runner. Um, you said before you did you've done one marathon. Yep. And it was in a, not not too bad a time. So. Can you just share with us what your, uh, your your marathon time was? I don't usually let people brag. We're not. I'm not into a brag, but it's very impressive. So you did like a two. So I ran two thirty two, and I trained for six months, average kilometer per week of seventy nine. Um, the goal was to to go as fast as I could without training training crazy amounts. So yeah, quality over quantity. Yeah, and yeah. just being more smart in terms of you know, key sessions, having a, a key goal for each session. Did, that's, that's really interesting. Did you, um, did you write, obviously you would have applied a lot of what you know 
yep. to your own training. Yep. So you're basically self-coached, or did you yep. utilize the, the help of other people around you? Uh, no, it was that was. I guess it was part of my journey is applying everything that I've learned in my whole sporting career and through um, academia into a very condensed block. Yeah, um, and piecing it together and, and feeling feeling how it how it sort of comes together. Yeah, no, it's pretty amazing. Well, you did pretty well for your first marathon and you're going to have another crack this year um, and you're hoping to go a bit quicker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hope, hopefully I would, I would like to be closer to 2.20 than 2.30. Yeah, that's very uh, incredibly fast. So, well, but I, it sounds like you've got it all. You've got, you've got the, uh, the science behind you and you've obviously got a good pedigree, so that helps. So, well done. And you, and you work hard, but um, I hope you can get it. Are you training with a similar workload? Like do you, or, uh, similar, you... similar principles. I've learned a lot in the past uh, two years since that marathon. So I'm, I've tweaked the program a little bit. Um, and as, as you adapt and become more resilient, then you need to do a little bit more. But like my goal is, is still to keep everything sort of under 100K a week. I'll probably end up being around 90K a week, I reckon. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, a lot of people think that you've got to just, that more equals better all the time but yeah you know i always talk about like and the famous coach american coach jack daniels always talks about the law of diminishing returns yeah 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 so you've got to find that that point don't you exactly and when you work full time you know your body can only take so much stress and yeah work is stress as well so you need to factor that in and interesting yeah well while, while we're on the topic of your um we'll jump straight across now into the topic and it's going to we're obviously going to talk about your work a fair bit so I do, i'm doing something i don't normally do but I thought I'd do it with you because of your being an exercise physiologist. So I'm going to have a focus question for today. And the focus question is, how do we build better trail and ultra runners? And so, yeah, so that's the big general question. Yeah. Um, and there's obviously going to be lots of little questions to go along with this. Short answer, how do we build a better trail? Or let's just focus on how do we build a better ultra runner? Yep. Um, I guess one of my key sort of mottos is consistency is key. And when you're, when you're doing an, an event that is as long as an ultra, um, then you need to have resilience and you need to be able to get through the hours and the kilometres, um, which makes up an ultra run. Um, and so to get to that point, um, you need to be consistent in your training to build the resilience in your body. Yeah. Brilliant short answer. Okay. Now let's go in a bit deeper and I, I want to ask you a bit about, um, yeah, so looking more, I want to sort of think about the physiological aspects of, of training. Um, obviously, you've got lots of experience as an athlete as well, which is really helpful. Um, but so physiologically, like, like what's the first thing that you would be looking for someone to, to do um, to build up? Obviously, you need to build up endurance to run um, so how do we, what's the most effective way that you have found to build up endurance? Um, yeah, endurance, that's an easy one. It's just consistency, um, week in, week out, um, getting, getting an amount of work done. So if, if, you, if you think about um, if you weren't consistent and you sort of you train a lot and then you break down, then you train a lot and you break down, then you're not really achieving any consistency in that training. And your body is, is overstressed and then it goes into breakdown mode. It, then you basically go back to square one. Um, so 
I like to think about it as you know the progressive it's yeah, progressive overload um, and and it's accumulation of of steps basically so you might want to think about every step counts toward your goal yeah and every step needs to have a purpose um, and if you think about it like that then you won't feel bad if you have an easy day because that's the purpose yeah exactly okay so that that's really excellent advice so more specifically like so what would you um, how would you break it down in terms of, you know, like um, efforts that we yeah. do, you know, easy effort, hard effort, in-between effort, intervals, you yeah. know, what, do you, what would yeah. you say? So if you, if you want to break down a, an endurance athlete or an endurance runner, for example, I guess there's, uh, there's, there's a couple of key physiological um, determinants, I guess. So you've got your maximal sprint speed, so as fast as you can go in, say, five seconds or over, over say, 50 metres. You've got your maximal aerobic power or your um, uh, the speed that you can hold for, say, four minutes or five minutes, so a mile. Um, then you've got your anaerobic threshold, which is what you can, the pace you can uh, sustain for um, 30 minutes to an hour. Um, and then you've got economy and so economy sort of brings together all of those aspects and is going to be the biggest driver for um, an ultra event because economy is the amount of energy used per um, per distance okay yeah that's something you hear about a lot running economy yep. um, and it, I guess it's it's sometimes it's quite hard to define the running economy thing but I think that was a pretty good description um, so yeah, is there out of all those things that you mentioned, I mean, I, I say this is a bit of a loaded question because I know you've got a lot of experience with hit training. Um, what? How do you? What do you? Um, what do you quantify? How do you quantify those things um, in terms of which one you do the most? Yeah. Um, so I guess economy is is probably as once you start running sort of more than ten k. Um, or over over 40 minutes economy and as you get out to like five hours or six hours in an mm. ultra economy is going to be the number one thing that will help you get through um, but having said that um, the training you do to build economy can be quite varied so you can do your long slow running um, you can do hit training which might sound counterintuitive uh, you can go to the gym and do resistance training um, you just have to think about what aspect of the body you're training to improve in the economy puzzle. So yeah, you might want to improve your metabolic economy um, by doing HIIT training, for example. You might want to improve your, um, your me mechanical economy um, by doing plyometrics in the gym to improve your tendon stiffness and uh, muscular properties. Um, that's interesting. Uh, with the HIIT training, just to clarify for anyone who maybe he's from a different planet and doesn't know what hit training is. Yep. I shouldn't say that but because some people might not, but high-intensity interval training, yeah? Correct. Yep. Um, yeah, which is obviously, you hear it a lot. It's used, and I think sometimes it's misused. Um, yeah, for sure. And um, so how, because I, I do know that too, there can be such a thing as too much of a good thing. Yeah. Um, so what would you say is like a, 
reasonable amount of hit training to do. You, obviously, I don't can't see the benefit in doing it every single day. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, for example, if if you were to try and go out and do a hit session every day, you'd probably break down after seven days. Yeah. Um. So sustainably, again, this is dependent on the athlete. Some athletes can handle two or three hit sessions a week consistently. Some athletes, one might be all they can handle in a week. So I guess it comes down to to knowing how your body responds um, to intensity and volumes um, and then programming the optimal amount. So you don't have to be the same as athlete, the athlete sitting on the other side of the room. Yeah, interesting. So it's, yeah, it's probably build up to it or less is more kind of thing until you know what you're capable of. I know with things like, um, like I haven't done this, but CrossFit, for example, I don't know what your knowledge is with CrossFit. Um, and I'm not trying to rag on the CrossFit community because I'm sure there's someone in, in my audience who is a CrossFitter and that's cool because activity is good. All yeah. that, you know, like, um, but, um, you know, I know with CrossFit, they do a lot of things essentially like adopting the HIT training philosophy, but they do it all, all the time. Yeah. Are there, are there dangers there? For sure. Not just with CrossFit, but we're just with the over overtraining with hit training. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. I guess that comes down to having a clear purpose for the session. Um, so a hit session could target a multiple multitude of different mm. aspects of physiology. Not all hit sessions are the same. Yeah. Um, and so uh, you do need to to be aware of what you're targeting, um, and then that will have an impact on how long it will take to recover. Yeah, and and um, how like so typically. Let's say we're doing a hit session that involves, well, just for the sake of this, running up a hill. Yeah. Can that is that? A, I mean, how would? I mean, I know, it, like I said, it could take various forms. So, steep hill hit training is yeah. that a, that's a, a legit thing, I suppose. Yeah. Um, how much time would that would you spend, and and where would your sort of effort levels be in that? Yep. So if you're running up a steep hill, um, and I, it, again, it depends on the work to rest duration. So how long you're running hard up the hill, for example, versus how long you're recovering walking down the hill, as an example. So typically the shorter the work period, the harder or more intense you should go. Yep. So um, if you're doing 20 second repeats, then you'd be going full gas. Yep. Whereas if you were doing uh, four minute efforts up a hill, then you'd obviously your body is not going to allow you to go it. that. So yeah. you, you would you would find that maximal sustainable pace for the for the effort duration. Yeah, and that's how you sort of that's one of the ways you can program your hit training is to think about the duration of the effort versus recovery, and then what would the speed um, be required to to sustain the effort. Yeah, um, and you talked about um, before we started recording. You mentioned how you one of your workouts that you like to do is just was it three by sixty meter sprints or something? Yep, for yeah. sure. And that that comes down to the I guess one of the first determinants of running performance is your maximal sprint speed. Right. Um, and so that's a that's that's a very much a neuromuscular coordination activity. Mm. But if you think about it, if you can run fast with it economy then any speed below that is going to be more economical and so if you can improve your maximal speed then any submaximal speed is going to be be mm. um a lot easier yeah and you're not really putting i mean you're putting strain on your muscular 
skeletal system, and yep. you, but you're not there's you're not putting really any strain on your aerobic system, correct? Because yep. it's all anaerobic, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. all anaerobic, and over yeah. sixty meters, it's it's basically neuromuscular. So you're, yeah. you're taxing your tendons, you're taxing your nervous system, um, and that's about it. Yeah, I imagine you have to be fairly well warmed up to attempt things like this. Or is yeah, it, you yeah. again, you'd want to build this, in, build that into your program progressively. Mm. Um, so yeah, you'd do some maybe some um, running drills as part of the warm up, um, build some intensity up. And then, yeah, you might even progress to doing doing each of the 60-metre sprints as a progression. So you wouldn't go straight into doing three 60-metre sprints full gas. You might build into them where the last one might be full gas in your first session. Wow. So you, you incorporate this into your own marathon training? Yes, I do. Yeah. And, um, wow. And so, like, would you – and what do you say to people who go, oh, it doesn't sound like enough? Like, I've, you know, like, because there's this logic of this sort of, I guess maybe it's a flawed logic, and I'm guilty of it at times. Um, you need to feel tired at the end of, you need to feel completely exhausted at the end of a workout. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, you don't, you don't need to be uh, exhausted after every single workout. Um, but if, again, if it comes back to consistency, if you're training consistent, consistently and you've got different sessions period, um, periodized each week and over months, like your overall accumulated fatigue is building throughout the training program. So, yeah, don't don't be scared about feeling like session. This particular session might not be enough because you know that there's got a there's a particular purpose for that session and it fits into the overall scheme of things. Yeah, that's fascinating. Really good advice. Um, I'm going to jump across to another topic now because we are we we're going to go through. This is there's so much to cover. Um, so it's really good. Um, one of the things that you, I know that you've got a bit of experience in is um, heat acclimatization training. Yeah. And I know, so we're sort of jumping away from actual build. This is a sort of tie in with the, the big picture, hopefully. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the benefits of training in heat? In heat, yep. So I guess my interest in heat training came from reading some papers actually about diabetes patients and and cardiovascular disease patients and uh, this particular study looked at using hot water baths as a way to improve uh, cardiovascular risk factors so i did a bit more reading and there was a bit more stuff on exercise related aspects um, but you can, if you think about it heat training stimulates very similar pathways uh, as exercise does so if you if you're in a sauna for example your heart rate is going to increase you're going to sweat um, your muscles are going to get warmer whole body temperature is going to get warmer um, and that's pretty much what happens when you go out and exercise so it got me thinking it's like okay this 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 is something that we could use to maybe add stress when we wanted to overload um, but it also could be uh, something that we could use if if we needed to deload the muscles or deload the, the body and still get a, um, a stress all right. So, like in a taper period. In a taper period, or yeah. during an injury period, for example. Yeah. Um, it's just a way to keep stress on the body. Yeah. Right. And so, um, yeah, that applying heat at different times in your preparation. Um, I that's my area of, of interest. Um, and same with altitude. They're, they're all different. It's utilizing different stresses on the body at, at different times. Yeah. To, to get a specific outcome. That's really interesting. I think because I mean, talking about the sauna stuff, you go back in the day when people, I mean, even now, I suppose people have always thought that about saunas that are like, 
oh well i'm sweating i must be losing weight i mean they're essentially probably losing water weight yeah but yeah. um you know there's this weird feeling that people will go in and go oh, there's some benefit but they don't no one could really pinpoint the benefit of yeah. being in a sauna yeah yeah um, yeah, so there's there's cardio there's clear cardiovascular benefits, but if you if you drill down into the muscle itself, there's molecular pathways which are being um, activated, which are very similar to exercise. Yeah, right. Um, and so, hence the benefits. So that's um, to make it very topical. We're in, we're still in the midst of a pretty hot Adelaide summer at the moment. You know, I think it's like 35 today or something, um, and we've had a lot of and like I, a lot of people I coach, you know, it's a real battle for them to train, to keep training. It's like you've got to go out and do a run on the plan. You want them to, to do the run. But yes, it's 35 degrees out. Like what, how, do we, how do you balance that in terms of continuing to train? And you might be not just deloading, but actually trying to build up, yep. you know? Yeah. So I guess, I guess the, the key thing is to understand that heat as a, is a stress itself. So if you're quantifying training load for each training session, for example, if you add 30, a 35 degree a day on top of that, mm. that's an extra load that needs to be factored into the overall weekly load. Yeah. So if you're trying to you know, in, improve, uh, in, increase the load, then sure, you might not need to adjust your actual running load. Whereas if you were, if you were um, tapering, for example, and you add, suddenly added some heat stuff, then you might need to look at taking, taking some things out because it's, a, it's an additional load. So it might be a factor of like maybe dropping some of the intensity yep. or intensity dropping the mileage? Or, yeah, intensity or mileage. Yeah. Um, depends on which, which, which thing you would, you would... I'd probably be dropping the, uh, the, the lower intensity stuff during that taper period um, if you're adding heat. Yeah, right. So what happens on the molecular level when you've been training through summer and then boom, it gets nice and cool and you've got all this fitness and you're adapted... Yeah. What's happened? And then that first run you do, and you just feel fantastic. The first run after summer. Yeah. Or the first race after summer. Yeah. So I guess if you've had that sustained exposure to heat, your body will acclimate, um, and that's a classic response to any kind of stress that you put on your body, and be it training or going to altitude, what have you. Um, so the classic uh, responses from heat acclimation uh, include. Uh, reduced perception of, of uh, strain in when it's hot. Um, they include an increase in blood plasma volume, which then means that your heart is pumping more blood more efficiently, which means that when it's cooler, you've got extra blood volume, your heart's stronger, and so at the same pace, your heart rate might be 5-10 beats less um, if you're going submaximally. Or if you're doing a race, for example, then you might you're going to be maxing out your heart rate, but because you've got more blood volume, then you're actually going to get a little bit more in terms of what you're putting out. So it's not unlike um, it's like blood doping in a sense, you know, in the the, the, yeah. the, the physiological response. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. right. And I'm, I guess that's what like blood doping. That's what they're trying to mimic those sort of adaptations, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. So there's, there's a yeah, blood doping is 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 one way to to really improve endurance performance, um, and there's ways to improve those characteristics in your blood or your cardiovascular system without actually taking drugs, um, and that's where um, utilizing heat stress or utilizing hypoxia or altitude training um, are natural ways to do that. Right. Yeah. 
Fascinating. Um, the other thing that is a big factor, and I, as a coach, I utilize this quite a, bo- quite a bit, um, and that's like u- utilizing zone heart rate training to, um, because it, I, I do it mainly because um, I, it's a better way to, it's better than just going run at four minutes 30 per kilometer, or four, because that obviously is gonna change from day to day, and your effort level is gonna increase for, yeah. for any set time. That, um, um, so obviously heat training is going to really impact. That. Yeah. Yeah. So say, for example, I might say to someone running zone two, yeah. which I do a lot. Yeah. Know? Obviously that, that's the, um, is it, we're looking at about 60 to 75% of your maximum heart rate. Yeah. Like general. So what's your, so like, how do you work? What's your work around there? You yeah. Know? So that's, I guess, one of the ways you can utilize. So keeping it easy. Yeah. 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 So if you're if you're prescribing off a heart rate zone, if it's a hot day, then your pace will probably have to come down a little bit. Yeah. Um, so you're still getting the same cardiovascular stress and benefit, um, but your legs might not be as taxed as much because yeah. there's de- decreased forces um, going through your tendons and your joints and your muscles. Yeah, so that's a good thing in a sense. Yes, yeah. so you, you might want to utilise that uh, in key periods of your, your training season. Mm. Um, do you, um, so can you sort of explain what happens when you're training sort of at that, in that aerobic in zone? That aerobic zone? Yeah. yeah, so I guess when you're doing your longer runs and your easy runs, um, the main stimulus is, so you're using aerobic metabolism, but the, the big driver is, or reason you do that sort of training um, is to is to increase your mitochondrial density in your muscle. So your mitochondria are, are like your little aerobic engines. The powerhouse of the cell. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly yeah. right. Know it well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so that sort of longer sustained low intensity training. Yeah. Um, one of the key um, adaptations from that is to increase the number of the mitochondria in your muscles. Um, low intensity training also um, improves your ability to use. Um, different kinds of fuel yep. so um, it, it promotes fat oxidation um, and reduces your reliance on carbohydrate ah, okay that's why you hear a lot about um, the people on these low um, low carb high, uh, high, high fat, fat. Yeah. yeah so I, I'm not necessarily a proponent of going full low carb full high fat but I'm definitely Nutrition manipulation is one of the easiest things you can do to change the outcome of your training. Right. There we go. Um, just can you give us a brief example of what you mean? Yep. Yep. Uh, so, for example, if you go, if you do two identical training sessions, they might say they might be, um, say, five times six minutes at about eighty-five percent max heart rate. So they're, they're, it's a solid session. Yeah. If you did that session and you had no carbohydrate beforehand, you were fasted, mm. then you um, then you would actually use more fat oxidation to complete that session. But the trade-off is that you're actually going to be less economical and your rate of perceived exertion by the end of the sixth higher. effort will be higher. Yeah, right. Whereas if you went into that exact same session and you had a carbohydrate meal beforehand, your fat oxidation would be less, your carbohydrate use would be more, and your rate of perceived exertion would be less. Right, yeah. So I guess it would be a sometimes activity, would you say? Yes, yeah. yeah. So you, you want to incorporate training with carbohydrate and, with, and without carbohydrate within mm. a week 
so that as an as an ultra runner or trail runner mm. you're going to rely on fat oxidation yeah. almost 100 percent because the duration of the event dictates that yeah however you still want to be able to utilize carbohydrate because you're going to have to run up steep pinches yeah where you're going to go into that sort of higher intensity zone so you, true. you want to be able to still utilize the full spectrum yeah even if you're like hiking like power hiking up a up a hill like i've been in situations where i'm in a race and i start hiking up a steep hill and my heart rate continues to rise for sure you know even yeah. though i'm not running yeah but it, um so yeah that's that's really interesting i um yeah so no that that's great i lost my train of thought but it's all right no i'm just there's a lot going through my mind um so we have so i've talked a bit about zone zone heart rate training and your rate of perceived exertion is a really interesting one um this is a, a, a question that um i had never considered before but can you describe the difference between the exhaustion and a maximum rate of perceived perceived exertion uh yeah i so guess if, if we're looking at that it's like so was it What's the scale they use? There's a few different scales. Yeah, so the Borg, the Borg yeah. scale, which is I think it's uh, six to twenty. Yeah. Um, where twenty is maximal perceived exertion, and six is basically very, very light exertion. Yeah. Um, and so that's, and again, it also depends on the timing when you ask the question. So, um, if you ask someone when they're doing an effort, what's your rate of perceived exertion? It will be very different to what they would rate it if you asked them 30 minutes later when yeah. they finish the session. Um, so I guess exhaustion is made up of a number of different things and it might not necessarily be, you, you can be exhausted without feeling like you've exerted yourself maximally. Mm. If you, if, if you go out and run for six hours, you'll be exhausted, Yeah, but you haven't gone maximal. Yes. It's been a gradual, yeah. Yes. yeah. So I guess the, the rate of perceived exertion scale integrates a lot of the, um, the perception uh, and integrates a lot of the overall um, physiological um, stresses on the body. Yeah, that's, um, no, the, the reason, it was kind of a loaded question. I was just, as, um, I, I listen to a lot of audio books and there's a, one that I've been listening to at the moment, which I actually can't remember the name. It's... Um, and they're talking about basically how runners can find that sprint at the end of a, a big race, like end of a marathon. And this particular example, they were talking about this uh, Kenyan runner, um, Sammy Wanjiru. I think he was the um, he had the world record in the marathon for a while. Um, he won Boston, and he's won lots of big marathons. And this is probably going back about not even ten, maybe ten years ago or less than ten years ago. And he came into the Boston Marathon as a, um, uh, like, um, he hadn't had a very good preparation and he wasn't expected to do to win, even though on paper he was the better runner. But he had, it was all about his, um, this sort of mental fortitude that he had. And it became this ding-dong battle between him and this other guy. And the, uh, um, this Ethiopian runner, and even though Sammy was not in peak physical fitness... He just still, no matter how many times this guy attacked, he just still had something to respond. He just kept, um, like, he was beyond, he was running at max, maximal effort. Yep. In the last, there was like an all-out sprint finish. Yep. And still, but it, it probably, he broke into a sprint 
they probably broke into a sprint maybe three or four times in the last two kilometers. Yeah. You know, like a hundred percent sprint that most people couldn't sustain for more than 10 seconds. Yeah. They kept doing it and then dropping back and then kept yep. doing it. And so just, um, I guess this goes into the power of the mind a bit as well. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know if there's any physiological ways that, that yeah. Yeah. So I guess your body, your body's natural response is to protect itself. Your body yeah. does not want to die. Yeah. So you're always, no matter how hard you think you're going, you've probably already, you've probably got another 20% left in you. But there are mechanisms in your body to prevent you from doing that. Because if you did go that far, that hard, then something would break. Yeah. So as an example, if, if you're doing um, some weights in the gym, say you're doing a squat, for example, you might be able to squat 100 kilos doing um, a concentric squat. But if you were to do it eccentrically, you might be able to squat 120 kilos. And that's, and that's mainly limited by your body's protective mechanisms. That's so weird. Yeah, so it's amazing. Yeah, so, and that's and that's where it comes into your training. You're like, okay, I'm going as hard as I can, but you know, deep down, you need to remember that your body's probably got a little bit more up its sleeve. Yeah. Okay. That that's good to good to remember. So next time you're out there and you're you're feeling like you've got nothing left, you probably do. If you're <laughs> a tiger behind you, you probably be still able to sprint. Exactly. And and yeah, and I always said like, the um the two hour thing that that they did the Nike thing. You know, they should have got someone out there with 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 a gun behind. You know, yeah. shot it into the air yeah. and the last lap of the and see yeah. see if that helped. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, but yeah, we'll release release some wild dogs. Yeah. yeah, no, it's um, it's awesome. No, there's um, well, we've we've covered heaps in a really short space of time there, and I, I think that um, um, there's a lot more we could probably talk about, but we, I know we don't have a great deal of time. There's one more thing I'd like to ask you about. Before we wrap it up um the you did some research into heart rate variability yeah and um so something that i've read a little bit about but obviously i'm not i don't have the the proper the full education that you do but um it seems like an emerging field of um that people are using can you explain what that is just as simply as yep. you can so heart rate variability is um it's a it's an easy way to measure or a simple way to measure i should say the um the state of your nervous system um from your the the the, the neural inputs into your heart so it's uh it's a way that you can measure stress uh and it's a way that you can measure um, adaptation or recovery from exercise. So yeah. if you can imagine your heart's beating, it, it might be beating at 60 beats a minute. So on average, one beat per second. But in reality, you've got um, your fight or flight mechanism or your sympathetic nervous system feeding into your heart to try and speed the heart up. And you've got your parasympathetic system, which is your rest or digest system, trying to slow your heart down. So in reality, each heartbeat is separated not by one second exactly, but by various fluctuations. And that interplay is what heart rate variability is. And why is that important? Um, so when you go, as, as an example, if you're going through a training block and you've done two or two, you're coming to your third week of hard training before your recovery week, you would expect the fatigue's building up. And because your fatigue's building up, that's more stress on your body. So your sympathetic system or the, you know, your fight or flight system is, is being activated because your body wants to get through the training. 
um, before the recovery period. So you might notice your, your waking heart rate is, is becoming more elevated. Um, your adrenaline system is, is more elevated um, because you're under stress. Yeah. Um, and so measuring heart rate variability is a way, is, is, a, is a biofeedback mechanism. It's a, to give you um, some feedback as to what state your body is in. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, I know that there are sort of apps available, but I don't know how accurate they are. I've tried utilising some of them before. Yeah, yeah. so um, I guess, yeah, these, these apps have sort of are bringing heart rate variability into the mainstream because um, there has been some validation studies on, on most of the key apps. And uh, in terms of measuring heart rate variability per se, they're, they're reliable in measurement. Yeah. Um, as long as the person doing the measurement... Um, Knows what they're doing. Yeah, know yeah. what they're doing. So do you think it's um, in people's interest to really try and learn a bit about that I guess yourself? Or is it, is it, do you still think that they've got some work to do with these apps and whatnot? I think if anyone who's got an interest in understanding how their body is mm. functioning and recovering, um, just at a basic level, um, it, it might be something worth pursuing um, because it makes you think about, okay, I've done, I've done two hard days in a row. Oh, my heart rate's suddenly different to what it used to be um, before those two days versus, you know, I've had an easier week of training. I feel relaxed. Um, oh, my heart rate is maybe a bit lower this um, now. So, so just because your legs aren't sore and you're, or, you know, the, there's stuff going on internally that you can't feel. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, yeah. that, and that might be life stress as well. So, yeah. you know, and that's just the way to understand, you know, how much stress is your body under. That's so interesting and it's super valuable. Something for people to research, I think. Um, sure. And is there, I mean, I don't know if any of your research is available to the general public or is it something that's... Uh, yeah, so I guess... Or would you rec where would you recommend people do further reading on this topic? Is there any like that? Or uh, it... There's a few different websites. If you, yeah. um, I don't want to name any particular ones, I oh, guess. Okay. Well, I, I could. No, it's all right. You don't have to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so do you feel like it's still an emerging field in, in that sense? Like, yeah, in terms yeah. of the overall... Um, I guess the uh, make the mainstream nature of it um, is still developing. Yeah. Um, yeah. If if you've got academics or or experienced professionals who have got experience in the field, then I guess they're utilising it already. Yeah. Um, but as a, as a feedback tool, it, it even if it's just um, a, a conversation point with your coach, you might oh my my heart rate variability flagged red today. Or, yeah. Or something bad. It might be okay. You might, that might prompt off. you to, to call your coach and have a conversation yeah. about what's been going on. Yeah, right. So I think it seems like a really valuable tool for for recovery and adaptation, you know, and something that I'm a big believer in is making sure that my athletes are adequately recovered because, you know, I'd almost sooner say to people, have an extra day off than yeah. overtrain. I'd rather undertrain an athlete than overtrain them. For sure. And um, I think a lot of people have the idea, this notion that you've got to be training all the time. You know, yeah. exactly. Like, like, yeah, weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just comes back to consistency, doesn't it? So you know, yeah. if you're overtrained, you're going to have to have maybe months off. Yeah. Whereas if you're undertrained, you can always, you know, you can you can still train. Absolutely. All right. Now before we finish up, so I'd like to finish with the um, what I call the fast five. And so listeners to the podcast know all about it, and people they'll know the questions. They haven't changed this week. Um, so it's just five quick questions. Yeah, do the best you can do. Yeah. Obviously, you're a, you're an athlete as well as a an exercise physiologist. 
Um, so five questions. Question one, if you could go for a run or a ride, I might say, because you're a triathlete or a swim, <laughs> but you're a runner. Yeah. If you could go for a run with any celebrity, either living or dead, who would it be? Jeez. They don't have to be an athlete. Oh, I'd probably go for Kipchoge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you th I think um, Jess Trengove actually said the same thing. <laughs> yeah, be all right. Um, no, it'd be good. Um, number two, five years. Oh, I want you to um, finish this quote. Yeah. Finish this sentence. Five years from now, I want to be... Oh, sub-220 marathon. Sub-220. Nice. Very doable. You're still young. <laughs> Question three. Um, what is your favourite type of workout Ooh. for yourself? Uh, progressive long build runs. Yeah, you right. Step up the pace every 5K. Nice. Okay. Painful, but nice. <laughs> um, question four. What is your favourite post-race drink? Uh, probably some form of milk-based smoothie. Ah, nice. Good recovery. Yep. yep. Um, chocolate milk's good. Yep. Like, yeah. Uh, question five. Okay, it's just basically which side of the debate are you on? Do you use headphones or no headphones? No headphones. No headphones. Why not? I just want to listen to my body, listen to my breathing, listen to my feet, the ground. Yep. Excellent. Very good. That was the fast five. Smashed it. Jamie, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. I think the listeners will um, get a lot out of it. Um, is there anything, any, do you have anything else you want to add or do you, do you anywhere, I suppose you're, you work for a government organisation so we can't, I don't know if you can't really promote. No, oh, if, you, if, you want to, if you like sports science-y kind of content, then you can follow me on Twitter at uh, jamiestanley85. Yep. Um, and same with Instagram. You might see some more running content on there. Awesome. And um, I'm sure people will want to... Are you on Strava? I am on Strava. Are you, do you keep things private? I do at the moment, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so keep your eyes peeled, though. Jamie will be um, smashing out the... Which marathon? Gold Coast. Gold Coast Marathon in July, hoping for a pretty quick time. So keep... Keep your eye out for him, and if you see him, if you if you're a, a runner that's heading up for the Gold Coast Marathon, you might see him fly past you on the return. So because there's a lot of out and backs in for that, sure. yeah. So I'm sure he'll be he'll say hello at the finish line, but maybe not during the race. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jamie, thanks a lot, mate. Uh, thanks, Dan. Thanks for inviting me. Pleasure.